Good morning, everyone. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I hope you're ready for a great day, and I'm glad you've started it here with us. It is a great, a great way to start today, isn't it? Worshiping the Lord, focusing our hearts on Him, and doing that together. It's a great thing to do. So whether you're here with me in the room or you're with us online, I'm just glad you're with us and that we're together. Amen? Before I jump into the sermon this morning, a couple of things I want to just uh, highlight for us. A few weeks ago, our next-gen student minister, Zach Leslie, stood up here with me as he shared with all of you the news that he had accepted a position at a, a student ministry position at a church in Baltimore, Maryland. And so we're very sad to see Zach and Hannah go. But I want to say this morning that the Lord has blessed our search, which we started immediately as soon as Zach let me know uh, about his, uh, his uh, opportunity there. We started a search for our next student minister, and the Lord has blessed that search, and I'm happy to let you know that a couple weeks ago, a guy named Blake Wynn and his fiancée, Emma, uh, after a few interviews online, uh, they visited here, they met with our elders, they met with our student sponsors, they met with our student leadership team, they, he, they met with our staff, and uh, everyone just really saw that Blake and Emma would be a wonderful fit. And so Blake will be starting in mid to late May uh, as our next next-gen student minister. He and Emma are getting married in October. So uh, in a month or a month and a half or so, you'll see a new face around here. His name's Blake, and uh, I'll be uh, anxious to introduce him to everyone when he does arrive. But I wanted to share that good news that um, we have our next student minister already lined up. God is really faithful and helped us a lot in that one. I have to tell you, that was, that was a big blessing uh, to meet him so quickly and to see so easily that he'll be a great fit. Also, just want to highlight what you heard Amy say in the video. Grab as many of these cards as you want from the chairs or from uh, the inf uh, invite wall by the exits, by the front door, and invite as many people as you can to Easter in just a few weeks here uh, and ask, would you come sit with me uh, on Easter? And uh, the more people we ask, the more likelihood we'll get some yeses. And people will be able to meet Jesus, hear about Jesus, Join us as we celebrate Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us. And uh, it's that news that changes lives and changes the world. Amen? And so uh, just take full advantage of, of those invites. Well, we are continuing our series this morning, When Jesus Prays. And we're looking at some of the prayers that Jesus prayed. We're learning what they teach us about prayer, about Jesus, and about ourselves. And today we're going to continue listening in on Jesus as he prays aloud his longest recorded prayer. Now, this is just before he goes to the cross. So as we're approaching Good Friday and Easter, this is appropriate that we're looking at this prayer. It's just before he goes to the cross, it's near the conclusion of about three years with his closest disciples. And he's just finished praying for them specifically, and as we looked at last week, and now we pick it up in John 17, 20. So let me read the passage, and then we're going to pray. This is Jesus, his words, praying. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one, I in them 
and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have this word open before us, uh, open our hearts. That, Holy Spirit, you would teach us this morning what it is each of us needs to walk out of here knowing, learning, appreciating, internalizing, that you would plant it in us, that it would grow today, tomorrow, and in the weeks ahead. Lord, we give this whole time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What do we pray for? It's not a bad question to ask ourselves. What do I find myself praying for or about in, you know, recently or, or currently? It says a lot about us. It says, tells us something about what's going on in our lives, our minds, our hearts, what's important to us. That makes perfect sense, right? What am I praying about recently? And that can be a pretty good indicator of what's going on in me. But we can also ask, what did Jesus pray for? What was important to him? Especially at this pivotal moment we just described, right? As he's headed toward the cross and about to wrap up his earthly ministry. What did Jesus pray for? And as we've been doing, we're going to move through the passage this morning that I just read, thought by thought. So let's look at this section of this long prayer that Jesus prayed. Starting back in verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And again, like we said last week, that's us. He is praying, now we, you know, without any doubt, he's praying for us. We are the people who have come to believe, among all the, the, just the millions and millions and millions of people who have come to believe in the message of the apostles, we, we are among those people. We've put our belief in Jesus we believe Jesus, we believe what he says is true, we believe him when he says it, or you can begin exploring that this morning. Maybe this whole thing's new to you, you're just checking it out. I would encourage you, if you'd like to continue the conversation about what it means to say yes to Jesus, you can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you. There'll be a button, one of, the, one of the options there on that menu will be about saying yes to Jesus. And it's about continuing a conversation so we can talk to you about what it even means to say yes to Jesus. I'm really glad if that's you, you're listening in this morning, you're with us this morning, you're checking this whole thing out, because that yes has changed so many of our lives. Amen? So this idea that this is us, we are the ones who've heard and accepted the message as well, it is the number one thing that's true about me and you. It's our primary identity. It's the one that forms and informs all the others. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower, a student, a servant of Jesus. And their message, as it says here, the message of those original disciples has reached us. It's reaching you even this morning through this moment right here. The message of the apostles. It's found in what we call the New Testament. And we're going to dive into this today. These words that we're reading this morning, they are life to us as Jesus followers. They are instructions on how to do life in Jesus. Through them, we meet Jesus. This is the Jesus we trust and believe. These words are powerful and meaningful to us. And so I'm going to show us today how this prayer of Jesus was lived out and expressed through the apostles and their message. How all of this instructs us today 20 centuries later, as people who also count ourselves as those that Jesus is praying for here. So he's praying a prayer. 
He's praying it for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, one of those letters written by one of those early Christians, a guy named Paul, he says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. That's us. That's us before we say yes to Jesus. But now you've been united with Christ. Jesus has just prayed, uh, as we're about to hear, that we would be united with each other in the same way we get to be united with Christ in the same way that he and the Father are united. But now you've been united with Jesus, with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This is another beautiful way of describing the people Jesus is praying for. People who've said yes to the message. So, Jesus is about to pray for all of his followers across all of time. Think about that. What are the next words out of his mouth? What's the request? What's the need on his heart? Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So this tells us something. This tells us that unity is an important thing to Jesus and that our unity is rooted in our union with God. And so this means no connection matters or counts more. No connection in our life counts more than the connection that we have with God and thus the one that we have with each other as Christians. For starters, he's praying that they will all, what he's referring to here is the original disciples and all the ones who will come after, He's praying that they all will be one, that, they, that those who come after will carry the message in unison and in harmony. It's almost like Jesus knows he is striking the starting note of the orchestra, of the, of the song, of the symphony that has been the last 20 centuries. And he's saying that this starting note, I pray that they'll continue to carry it on in union, that they'll be one, they'll be harmonious with where we're starting here as a faith movement that we would call Christianity. Something is beginning, in other words. And Jesus is saying, I'm praying it stays true to its founding. Now, it, at this moment, it may, this may have felt like a really thin thread. We know just how successful the movement was, right? We're here on the other side of the world so many centuries later. It worked, right? It happened. But at that moment, 12 disciples, one about to betray him, and, and they're all going to, you know, when he is taken into custody after his arrest, the disciples are going to scatter in fear. As the church begins, it will suffer persecution, really for the next two to three centuries. So this prayer is serious. This idea that may all those followers keep the message that they received. Will they be one in that? Our own church's history here at Outlook draws a lot from this very idea. Founded in 1866, our church is part of a historical movement of local independent fellowships dedicated to, as the founders, founding thinkers of that movement said, restoring simple and plain New Testament Christianity. Free from hierarchy and empty ritual, stripped down to the basics of baptism and communion, of fellowship with one another, of learning the word and serving the world. This was the basic, kind of the, the basic lumber that creates a New Testament church. And we, we see ourselves as part of a movement that has stripped that down to those basic, those basic two-by-fours. And that's what we unite around, see? These are core truths and practices Christians can easily unite around. 
This is in keeping with the idea of Jesus' prayer right here. May they be one. All of this because of the union we enjoy, thanks to God, or with God, thanks to Christ Jesus. Back to Ephesians for a second. Again, seeing how this prayer gets lived out and written about and expressed by these early Christians. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into what? One people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one, again, one new people from the two groups. Now, no two groups were more divided in Jesus' day than Jews and Gentiles. And, and no one could have fully predicted when Jesus first prayed this prayer, other, other than Jesus, who knew exactly what was going to happen, that his movement was going to reach out and include, started with Jewish folks, and then reached out to include Gentiles, non-Jewish folks. And he knew that would happen, and he knew that was going to get rocky. And so he is praying, may they all be one in me, just as I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So no two groups were more divided or more at odds back then than Jews and Gentiles. But the principle remains, pick any two groups... Any two races, any two political parties, any two enemies, any two rivals or combatants, the church is to be full of them. Because one means one. One God, one church. No connection counts for more than the one we have because we're fellow Jesus followers. Amen? Together, back to Ephesians, together as one body, again, you see this theme, Jesus has prayed that may they be one. Paul is really drilling this down. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was what? Put to death. Yet how often are Christians full of as much hostility as the world in our day today? Are you pro this or anti that? Are you Republican, Independent, Libertarian, or Democrat? We have all kinds of labels, right? That if we're not careful, will be used to divide us from each other. Verse 18, now all of us, someone say all of us. All of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Same Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. Nothing else matters more than the fact that the same Holy Spirit lives in me and lives in you. Back to Jesus' prayer. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now this takes it up a notch, right? This unity that Jesus is praying that we get to enjoy and experience points others to God. And so it means it's worth our effort. It won't always be some sort of automatic thing. Jesus prayed it so it'll automatically happen. It means we need to cooperate with that prayer. We need to be the answers to that prayer. It's worth our effort. And let's face it. If being one is the win, we're too often losing at least when you think about Christians as a movement in general in our society. 
Division has been the name of the game far, for far too many Christians. It's the name of the game that they've been playing, or maybe more accurately, had played on them. Becoming convinced that the most important thing about them was whether the person they were backing made it to the White House, and the most important thing about us was whether you and I were backing them too. And if we win at that game, we lose a lot. Taking the beauty and the preciousness of what it cost to save our souls and bring us into God's family, one family, and then deciding that wasn't worth enough, wasn't strong enough to keep us in church fellowship together. Man, if that's ever us, if that's ever me or you, we're working for the wrong win. Jesus didn't pray, may their political and social agenda dominate the world of unbelievers so they can legislate their way to influence. That's not what Jesus prayed. No, Jesus' aim was always that despite all our differences and varied points of view, that we would be tied together in love. Love for the one who loves us and gave himself up for us, and love for each other and really all others. This is what will show the world that the message of Jesus is true and real. Labeling, dividing, anyone can do that. Staying united in love despite the th ways we see things differently, that's a miracle. And that shows the world that Jesus is real, at least according to this prayer. There's a lot riding on this. Nothing short of the ability of the world to believe God sent Jesus. The strength of his credibility is linked to the depth of our community. And we can find that our connection is not always so deep at all, easily trumped by other allegiances. Their odds of believing, whether this thing is real or not, are based on our sense of belonging and the sense of belonging we provide for each other. Yet many people change churches like channels, or at least maybe like internet providers, right? Faster speed and better service. Or, in, or insurance companies, lower premiums, broader coverage. Back to Paul's letter in the Ephesians, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, he wouldn't have had to write it if it was easy to do. Right? Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another means put up with each other, okay? Verse 3, make every effort, there it is, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what Jesus is praying for. And here the Apostle Paul is reminding some early Christians, make every effort to do exactly that. There is, and here's the language that echoes Jesus' prayer, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So do we have something unique here as a church, as the church? We're supposed to, right? It's supposed to stand out as this really odd and amazing and miraculous thing. These people who get along despite the fact that they're, they're varied and different. People who despite our differences, our diversity, our uniquenesses, are so captured by God and thus love each other so that everyone else can't help but see that this can't be found anywhere else. 
What does that mean? That means when something is separating me from a brother or a sister in Jesus, I should do something about it. I should not let that break our relationship. When another Christian is doing God's work, even if I don't agree on every point that they make, I should be supportive of them. They are on my team. We're on the team that is trying to spread the love of Jesus. And I shouldn't let any lesser label, political party, stance on one issue or another, actually divide me from another Christian. Disunity is sinful if it means I'm running counter to the very thing Jesus prayed would be true of us, creating disunity or even tolerating it. We can disagree without disrespect or disconnection. Remember, unity does not mean we agree on everything. Unity means that we still believe that Jesus is the most important thing in the world, that he died on the cross for us, that he rose again, and that his kingdom is here, and we're praying that it would come on earth as it is in heaven, that we're united in that. And if, and if you've got some ways that you think that means that are different than the way I think that means, that can be okay. We can still work shoulder to shoulder in bringing that kingdom come. Amen? We can disagree, but it doesn't mean we disrespect. And it certainly doesn't mean we disconnect. We have to stay together. If Jesus is our Lord, he not only taught it and commanded it, he prayed for it. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, he prayed, so they may be one as we are one. I in them, I am in them, and you are in me. Such unity, then, isn't natural, but divine. It's glorious. It's something otherworldly, and it means we can't ignore it. We can't think, oh, that's just a nice to have, not a need to have. He wouldn't be praying so hard for unity if division wasn't so easily our default. Thus, our unity really means something, really says something. In fact, it's glorious. It's a glorious thing. It's, it's bright. It's eye-catching. I think of when Jesus says that we are to be like a city on a hill. Picture that at night. A city brightly lit on a hill that everyone can see. Intriguing and eye-catching. The glory of our unity is something that will... Um, Capture the attention of the world. Now again, just to, Jesus is reiterating some points here in his prayer. I'm going to reiterate some points. The glory of unity is not in uniformity. And those two things should not be confused. It doesn't mean we're all alike. It means we all love each other and we love the Lord. If you want a church where everyone is just like you, same politics, same socioeconomics, same education, then what you want is not the church at all. Sometimes, this is just a little bit of an aside here, but it, it might come to your mind. I know it does for, my, for me when I think of this subject. Sometimes I've heard people say that all the denominations, right, so many different denominations out there, all those different denominations and faith expressions are really evidence of our disunity. Maybe you've, you've wondered or thought that. And, and, and that same expression is usually followed by a, a longing uh, at least for the idea of organizationally being one united single church. And that would be the answer. If only all those denominations went away and we could just be one church under one banner. But I, I admit, I've come to not see it quite that way. I think most expressions 
of the Christian faith are strong in some things and could be stronger in others. And that's true for all expressions of the faith. We have a lot to learn from each other, and we can do that without compromising our convictions. In fact, I found my convictions only get sturdier and better informed as I learn from or pay attention to those who express their faith in maybe different ways than come more naturally to me. A word picture that's helped me uh, is this. Think of a tree, large and full, thick trunk, broad branches reaching up into the sky. No one would look at a tree with all of its branches and then say, this tree's not unified. Why does it have to have all these branches? Right? We wouldn't think that. This word picture helps me. As long as all those branches are well connected to the trunk, that tree is unified. That tree is one. It is one tree. And then imagine, think of all the fruit, all those branches, each producing fruit. And in some ways, uh, if you let me stretch the metaphor a little bit, the branches are all producing all kinds of fruit. In fact, the more branches, the more fruit in some respects. And then think of all the shade and shelter that that tree provides to so many different types of creatures. Or how many people can find a home in churches of all different kinds of expressions. Now, I don't say that to water down what we believe is true or right or moral or, or ethical, only to say that there are lots of different ways to, to worship Jesus, lots of different ways to maybe express that. Some churches are more formal and liturgical. Some are a little bit more, uh, a little less so, maybe like us. There are all kinds of different faith traditions. I'm not talking about orthodox belief systems and unorthodox belief systems. I'm only talking about the ways that love for Jesus or that devotion to Jesus can get expressed in worship or in teaching, in preaching, or in fellowship. That's the church to me. It's that large tree with all of its branches that provides shade and shelter for so many and bears, can bear a lot of fruit. So because of this diversity, our unity is made all the more beautiful and miraculous. Listen to this sampling. I want to now quote a little bit more from some letters of these early Christians about how important it was and still should be. So forgive me, I'm going to read the Bible in church, okay? Got a few different verses here, all just stacked right on top of each other, to make a point just how important seeing Jesus' prayer get answered really was to these Christians. First, to the Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another, with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. To the Galatians, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. To the Philippians, stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the one, as one for the faith of the gospel. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
the Apostle Peter in his first letter, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. This clearly is a priority that definitely wasn't and simply can't be ignored. Back to Jesus' prayer. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This tells us there's no real unity without love. The love that Jesus has for us, the love that we can then share with others. This means we're all about respect and compassion and service. We can be reminded God is love. We read that later in the book of 1 John. And we are people who can pray directly to God and hear him call us his beloved. That's who we are. That's the message we've received. Earlier this same night, as Jesus is praying this prayer, if you go back a little bit, he said to his disciples, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, this is, he prays for it later. He mentions it this way earlier. And let's be honest, as a group, we've got a lot of work to do. As a group, at least Christians in general in our society, we fail far too often at this. At least many have. The many that make the headlines or the many in the public eye have not shown this love to the world. But it's love that creates our unity. And it's our unity that the world will see as this miraculous evidence of God. How we treat each other, how devoted and respectful and kind and humble and compassionate we are. Not our Bible knowledge, not our nailed tight doctrine. That will be the light that we shed. It will be our love. Our unity is rooted in union with God. This unity points others to God. Such unity isn't natural, but divine. And there's no real unity without love. Friends, this is worth praying for and living for. I'm going to invite you to take your bread in, in the cup here as we reflect on what Jesus has, has prayed here. It is worth living for. Jesus felt it was worth dying for this unity. Let me share one more passage as we reflect on the bread and the cup. To the Corinthians, Paul once asked, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And check this. And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. In other words, what he's saying is this act, whether you're in this city or this region or this country, this act, or now in this century or another or 20 later, this act unites us in ways that nothing else can because we are doing the thing that started in that same upper room just before Jesus prayed this prayer and we bring it right to this moment here with us today. That moment when Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He not only prayed for this, he paid for it with his life. That moment when he said, and this is my blood of a new covenant, sealed in my blood of covenant of grace. Take and drink, all of you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the 
passage that we've gotten to reflect on this morning. Lord, help us to be people who, when we, when we see or experience or, or find ourselves in the midst of those forces that want to push us apart, that want to separate us from our brothers and sisters in Jesus, want to make lesser labels uh, somehow the most important things about us instead of our love for each other that we find in Jesus. Help us, God, to push back against those forces. They're very real and they're prevalent. But Lord, by your spirit, help instead to be, help us to be answers to this prayer. Help us to be people who, who are continually knitting more tightly our connection with our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. Let that love flow from us and let us be answers to this powerful prayer. In your name we pray, amen.